Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. God is good. All the time. Let us pray. Oh God, there is no one that is good but you, and you alone are the source of all good. We thank you for all the blessings that we have received from your hand, both individually and as a parish family. And we pray that we may be so mindful of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives. By giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Amen. Well, it seems appropriate on this Founders Day celebration to look backward a bit in order to understand how we have come to the moment. But we don't want to dwell in the past. And we certainly don't want to go back to the slavery in Egypt from which we've been delivered. <laughs> As someone has said, nostalgia is not what it used to be and probably never was. <laughs> because whatever good there was in the good old days, and there was some good there, is always offset to some degree by the things that were not so good that we should be glad to have left behind. In any case, Christian life is always forward-looking because the best is always yet to be. However good, and, and so in this sense, the good, however good it was or is, is the enemy always of the best. What does St. Paul say? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Only let us hold true, he says, to what we have attained. For this reason, always forward is the motto of the Anglican Church in North America, of which we're now a part. Always forward. Yet it's still appropriate on Founders Day to give a brief history of how we've come to the present time. And I think you'll see that where we've been in the past, as well as where we are now, and where we hope God willing to be in the future, is consistent. Furthermore, the history is really his story. <laughs> because it's the story of how God works through us from the beginning, because apart from him, there's no way we would be where we are today, or where we hope to be for tomorrow. So I'm not really the founder of this church. Uh, the founder is Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it is really his story. And, and of course, to begin at the beginning of the founding of Christ Church, I'd have to go back to Jesus and the apostles. But we don't have time for a whole recitation of church history today. So I'm just going back to the beginning of St. Nicholas Episcopal Church in 1956. The founding rector was Richard Neal a former geologist and lay reader in the church that I grew up in, in Albany, Texas. So there's that early connection. A later rector, Jim Considine, after he retired, was the priest in charge of the Albany church when I came to officiate at my father's funeral. And that's how my name got submitted to the church committee at St. Nicholas, who were at the time looking for a new rector. 
Or were these connections uh, mere coincidences or providences? Uh, I prefer the latter, since I had no plans at the time to come to Midland. I was looking at the time to return to a church in the Dallas area for where I'd served before. And upon hearing about the possibility of Midland, after living in the Seattle area for nine years, <laughs> where it rains a lot, <laughs> I thought, Midland, that must be like the Nevada desert out there. <laughs> and we would consider Albany, West Texas, but it still has lakes and rivers and trees and hills. What I found in Midland, however, was that even though there are no trees, lakes, rivers, mountains, and even hills, the people are the asset. And there's some really great people in this community and in this church. In fact, I thought about, you know, when we moved to the Loop, we were taking that passage about a city set on a hill. <laughs> and we thought, there's no way to put St. Nicholas on a hill in Midland. So the next best thing is to be in a highly visible, accessible location like the Loop. <laughs> well, this helped, too, when I moved from Seattle from a, a very acoustically live church building to one that was like very acoustically dead, <laughs> to the point where it had thick carpets, padded pews, and even acoustic tile on, on the ceiling. And it felt like, you know, when you, anything you said or sung, it just like a hand was pushing down on you. <laughs> the liturgy of the people was really great work. You had to kind of push against that. And the church was also hard to find with no easy access, and no off-street parking. So you either had to be lost to find your way there or else highly committed. And so I think that's one of the reasons that St. Nicholas had such really alive people. And I think, you know, that uh, uh, as a Ugandan bishop uh, reminded us, the people that make up the body of Christ are really the church. When we left our building on the loop, he said, well, you left the, lost the building, but you got the church. Well, moving to the loop was also not my idea. Oh, wait, I was going to say something about that psalm we use, that short psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. And that's definitely true in our case. Because uh, apart from the Lord, we wouldn't be where we're sitting and standing today. And moving to the loop was also not my idea. It happened through a series of providential circumstances. It began with a visit from a group of lay people from the Church of the Holy Trinity shortly after I arrived. And one of them, the late Fritz Breckenridge, had been instrumental in starting St. Nicholas as a mission congregation. And he was now seeking our help and planning a third Episcopal altar in Midland. And in the ensuing discussions, Father Alan Whitman, who was the rector at the time, suggested it might be better to relocate St. Nicholas because we were so hard to find and didn't have any off-street parking. So he proposed that Holy Trinity sell us the land they owned on Bluebird Lane for this purpose. And in pro the process of evaluating this property as well as others, the eight-acre site on the loop emerged as the favorite. A third of it was offered as a donation by one of our parishioners, and the other two-thirds was purchased at what was a very reasonable price at the time, $60,000 in 
if you can believe. The loop was not developed at the time. The overpasses hadn't been put in. All there was was the fronting road. But two years later, when the loop developed and all the commercial businesses were built along the side, it became a, a very highly valuable property. So that was a goad, too, to keep us moving because we wanted to form, uh, start worship on that site as soon as possible in order to avoid the high taxes. Then in 1994, our long-range planning committee produced a plan for St. Nicholas to become a parish that took the Great Commission seriously. And other encouragements came in our introduction to the Alpha Course and to the discovery of a little book by former Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey. It was entitled, The Church in the Marketplace. You see, there was some resistance at first for our moving to such a highly commercial area. Uh, and people would think, well, maybe we ought to sell this and use the money to purchase some property in some kind of residential neighborhood. But uh, this book told the experience of his church in Durham that was in a very highly commercial central location uh, and that's why it was entitled The Church in the Marketplace. And we thought that is really what we want to be. We want to be the church in the marketplace in a location like where Walmart is located where anybody of whatever race or class or social distinction can come and feel comfortable. Well, the name of this church was St. Nicholas. <laughs> now, how clear does God have to send a telegram any clearer than that, that this is a word from the Lord? Well, other providential occurrences were the smooth way our building committee functioned to choose and work with a team of excellent architects, among whom was Tim Blankfist, who grew up in our parish. And the acquisition by marriage to our parish family by a highly gifted and trustworthy general contractor with considerable experience in church building was another God thing. Cooper Construction has now built two of our new church buildings. It is now at work on the third. Well, our highly successful Shine Jesus Shine Capital Funds campaign to, to raise money for the building on the loop was another thing. Because at the time, oil prices were much lower than they are today. Yet our goal of $1.2 million was not only met, but surpassed by $350,000. And the sale of our former building to St. Paul's Anglican Church, negotiated by our own Bob Bledsoe, was another plus. Because it enabled us to stay in our present building until the loop construction was completed. The biggest serendipity that prepared the way for our move to the loop was the arrival of Father Mark and Patsy Eldridge and family to work among us using their gifts and enthusiasm uh, to implement our adaptation to what it means to be a purpose-driven church. And the move to the loop proved to be a great benefit to the advancement of the kingdom because our average Sunday attendance increased 60% in the first year. And now uh, giving directions to the church was no longer that complicated or even necessary. We'd say, oh, the church on the loop. Yeah, they knew exactly where we were. 
We pioneered the purpose-driven church programs in Midland and continue to do Alpha and VBS with True Light. And, and, and I, and I, in this now highly visible location. Then in 2005, because of the disturbing developments in the Episcopal Church, we found we had no choice but to leave our church building in order to stay with the church. That is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church that we affirm every Sunday in the Nicene Creed. And providentially, we prepared for this by visits from people who had suffered terribly from their faith in places like the Sudan, Ethiopia, China, and North Korea. What they had given up in order to be faithful to Christ made our leaving behind a building seem like a very small price to pay. And we were blessed greatly by the example of these persecuted brothers and sisters. And Father John's, Jonathan's arrival was also greatly helpful because of his experience in communications, because it helped us uh, explain why we were doing what we were doing. We're also blessed by the wider church in Midland and throughout the world who supported us during our wilderness time by their prayers and contributions. Immediately after our last service on the loop, a member of First Baptist offered what he called a small gesture of support in the form of a check for $10,000. An Anglican church in Virginia sent us another 4000 Mid-Cities Community Church offered us office space rent-free at an old estate with a tennis courts and a swimming pool. <laughs> As I told Father Jonathan, well, we have to learn to be content in all circumstances. Not everybody has to do this. <laughs> St. Stephen's Catholic Church was going to share their facility with us. We were going to change, you know, when they, we were in Sunday school, they were going to be in church and vice versa, but we decided the parking lot couldn't accommodate both congregations. So they gave us altar furniture for when we were at the school. And we were especially blessed uh, by our, oh, well, then other things, yeah, the other churches in town, First Methodist, First Presbyterian, Holy Trinity, St. Paul's Anglican and True Light Christian Fellowship opened their doors to us for weddings, burials, and other midweek services when we couldn't accommodate that at the school. But we were especially blessed by our time in the, in the, church, in the Diocese of Mityana and the Anglican Church of Uganda. And this cross that hangs, hangs behind the altar was a gift from them uh, and in, meeting in their Dawson Synod when they were meeting in a cathedral that you could see the sky through the roof. They desperately needed a new roof. But it's, it continues to be a reminder of our association with that, with that uh, great church. Midland Classical Academy graciously shared their facilities with us for Sunday services and classes. We even were able to do alpha courses there and Wednesday night dinners and classes. And this proved to be a special time for building up the body of Christ, since so many bonds were formed and strengthened by the need to work together to set up every Saturday and to take down every Sunday to a store in a portable storage unit that was brought in for the purpose. And the altar guild, and they'll be glad to know they don't have to do this anymore, they learned during this time to, compl to operate out of two steamer trunks, and they did that efficiently without complaint. Later, the Claydesta Corporation provided us with discounted office space for several months. 
So in all kinds of ways, we we learn that blessing comes through obedience in good measure, pressed down, running over. Every time I stop to think, how could we be more blessed than a new blessing seemed to occur? At our final service on the loop, we had four preachers, and Roy Smith was always made to go last because nobody wanted to preach after Roy. <laughs> and one of the things he said during that time proved to be prophetic. He said, Father Stasny, you're not moving out. You're moving up. <laughs> and that's what we did to this 16-acre site we occupy today. Providentially, it became available to us because one of our deceased members, way before this ever, we ever thought about even moving, went to the city planning and zoning and said there was a higher and better use for it than a strip mall. And it was sold to us at the exact price that our negotiator, again, Bob Bledsoe, was authorized to offer. So that was another God thing. And then, in addition, we were able to build and pay for this present building without the help of a professional fundraiser. All it took was a letter from Charlie Ty to all our parishioners. But that's not the main way we've moved up, because the material things are not our main concern and never should be. As Father Henry has said, buildings are only instruments to use to be more effective about our main business, which is to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. As we live out and live into our prayer that his kingdom may come on earth more as it is in heaven. And as heirs of the faith of our forefather Abraham, we know we're always blessed to be a blessing and to be a light. So to, so to let our light so shine before others that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. In this way, moving up, you see, is always moving out. Moving out to help more people come to know the transforming love of Jesus the Christ. In his novel, The Last Western, Thomas Cleese gives what I think is a good description of the church at its best. He describes a semi-monastic group of people who drive around in pickups, ministering to people injured during urban rioting. He describes them as the servants of the used, abused, and utterly screwed up. <laughs> and when I read that, I thought, wow, what a great description for members of a hospital for sinners. And, and I... Because the more we know just how amazing is the grace of God, the more we should be moved to share it with other broken, sinful people like ourselves. I believe there's going to be an increasing need for the church in the coming years to serve as a lifeboat, to, recognize, to rescue all those who are used, abused, and utterly screwed up by the legacy of the sexual revolution of the 60s and all the false faiths of our present age. Things like relativism, spiritualism, Marxism, hedonism, atheism, scientism, secular materialism, moralistic therapeutic theism, and what might be called technologism. Is it any coincidence that all these isms end with the letters ISM, which could refer to be an acronym for I save myself? The evidence of history should be more than enough to convince us that no one, 
no nation, no merely human organization can save themselves. There is one Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that is our Lord Jesus the Christ who said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And the apostolic preaching from the beginning has been there is no sal- there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now since we worship a king whose sovereignty is disputed, we can expect opposition. And thus we're going to have to continue to stand firm and faithfully and lovingly contend for this faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. The temptation to compromise and go along in order to get along in a culture that is rapidly losing its biblical mooring will be strong. We're already seeing some churches and even denominations succumb to this and, and abandon biblical anthropology and sexual ethics. Theologian Russell Moore points out that almost every survey of people leaving the church has emphasized the scandals within the church, most notably the sexual abuse cover-ups and predatory behavior. The problem now, he says, is not that people think the church's way of life is too demanding, too morally rigorous, but that they have come to think the church doesn't believe its own moral teachings. If we're going to call people away from the confusions and excesses of Western modernity, we'll have to be able to repeat with credibility the words of our founder. Take up your cross and follow me. God helping, if we're going to say with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ, we're going to have to walk the talk. Who knows what the future will bring? As someone has said, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And we know, as the hymn writer puts it, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. All we can do is nothing worth unless God blesses the deed. Yet nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.